I love Burn the Haystack because I'm a deep thinker and I like to challenge old traditions to make way for a brighter future. That's also why I chose to get my degree from Avondale University College. With a thriving community of believers, I was able to kickstart my career and grow my faith at the same time. Business, arts, teaching, nursing or ministry. Called to make a difference? Called to be at Avondale. Have you ever read something in the Bible and been totally confused by what you read? And maybe you're thinking, I want to read the Bible better. I want to know what this is all about. Well, this is the episode for you. Last week, we talked about some of the tools that you can use to figure out what the original meaning of the text was. And this week, we're putting those tools to the test. Absolutely. Every tool we use in this episode is free to use. Anybody can access to it. And we are going to be unpacking 1 Corinthians 14, 34 to 35, which shouldn't be controversial at all. Let's get into it. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a show all about saving the best and burning the rest. It sure is. And as you probably heard, we are on a roll with this series. We are talking about how to read the Bible responsibly. <laughs> as opposed to irresponsibly. <laughs> Which more people do than uh, we would like, I guess, yeah. at this stage. <laughs> Not going to lie, though, when I when I first thought of that name, it made me think of like reading the Bible whilst riding a motorbike, whilst also doing something really dangerous with the other hand, like irres- just irresponsible. <laughs> I mean, that would also be reading the Bible irresponsibly, but um, yeah. anyway. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the things, Josh, that we haven't done, we've talked a lot about the Bible over the last two episodes. We've talked about what the Bible isn't. We've talked about what the Bible is, and we've also gotten into a little bit of um, how to interpret it, how to exegete some of the tools. But one of the things that I have noticed, and no doubt you've noticed as well, is we haven't actually spent that much time in the Bible itself, (laughs) (laughs) like actually reading through it. Yeah. But today is different. If I angle my microphone, you can probably hear the pages turning. Whoa. Actually got a paper Bible A real Bible. A real Bible, unlike those fake Bibles. Can you show everybody on the the video the Bible that you have in your hand? Because it is it is a marvel. It it, sh- it looks like it belongs in a museum cabinet display. It is uh been through um been through life. So this is my coffee Bible. It was a um, gift from my wife while we were dating. Um, yep, and I've used it ever since. It's got coffee beans on it. Uh, as in just like little, gr- gr- what do you call it? Like little pictures of coffee yeah. beans and it's got these little devotional thoughts in it. And yep. um, depending on the depth of the thought, they're either a short, a tall or a grande. <laughs> you, you can tell that it's American <laughs> just by that classification <laughs> alone. It's like the Starbucks. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's, a pre- it's basically a Starbucks Bible, but no. <laughs> You can't. Yeah. They, they just couldn't get the branding for Starbucks, unfortunately. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. I'd get a Starbucks Bible. It'd be kind of fun. <laughs> there uh, are people. Yeah. There are people who are like really into Starbucks. I've found, like, really into it. Oh yeah, it's 
for good reason. I mean, they they got a. I mean, I don't like their coffee as much, but I like a lot of their other hot drinks. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I well, the thing about Starbucks is you go in there for the experience. I reckon. Yep, that's right. Yeah, that's. I mean, I have the fondest memories of when we were in Japan. Um, not you and I, but Danelle and I were in Japan. Um, <laughs> And uh, we we went to a Starbucks. I'm trying to remember where it was. I think it was in Osaka. Might have been. Yeah, I think it was in this park in Osaka. And it's just beautiful, awesome um, vibes, just brown leaves and stuff everywhere. Beautiful. And there's just this little really modern, nice looking Starbucks in the middle of this park. Mm. So, yeah, I just have super fond memories of even just that. I was thinking about it this morning. I'm like, man, I wish I could go back to that Starbucks specifically, yeah. you know, and just chilling in there. And it felt, it just felt like a legitimate Starbucks experience, but in a whole nother country, you know, but That's still the beautiful. same Starbucks. Yep. Yeah. It's like when I'm in Melbourne or when I go to the one here in um, Hamilton, New Zealand. Mm, mm, there's just, one in Hamilton. I didn't know that. I think there are two in Hamilton. What? Mm. There's not even one single one in Palmerston North, which is like arguably the coffee capital in the North Island. It seems crazy <laughs> to me. <laughs> no one. Okay, so who considers Palmerston North the coffee capital of the North Island? Palmerston North is well known for having more coffee houses per capita or per square meter or something like that more cafes than any other city in New Zealand. I'm pretty sure. It's coffee, it's cafes and churches are the two things that Palmy has going for it. There you go. Lived there for a few years. I didn't even know that. I mean, I think of Wellington as more like the coffee place of New Zealand. You yeah, know? but Wellington has everything. <laughs> Wellington is the capital of the country. It's got the arts and the culture and it's got it's got all the museums and the historical stuff. Why can't we have the coffee? Like, come on, Wellington, don't be selfish. That's that's fair. I, I mean, I love Wellington, but I can't fault you on that argument. You should have one thing. <laughs> Palmy should have something. Yeah, something that we can be proud of. Something, yeah. anything. <laughs> I mean, you could almost argue by not having a Starbucks, you're the coffee capital because you're so yeah. snobby. You don't even accept Starbucks coffee. I you think there what? used to be a Starbucks I'll, in Palmy. I'll take it. I'll take it. Mm. You reckon there may have been? <laughs> I'm sure. I remember having a conversation with someone there and them telling me there used to be one. That'd be a good Google later on. But yeah. Um, anyway, I do not have a coffee Bible. I have a... So, I'm using my study Bible today. I have two study Bibles. Um, they're both NLT. And uh, this one is kind of the more dry academic one, I suppose. Um, the other one is the Life Application Study Bible. Uh, but I like this one. This one's a good one. This actually, funnily enough, was Karina's. This was my wife's. Mm. But she didn't like like this one so much and she liked the one that I had. So, we kind of ended up doing a trade and now I use this one more often than not. That's funny. <laughs> so, she likes the Life Application Study Bible. That's quite a good one. There are a whole bunch of different versions for, for that. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. We were talking about this before. I currently don't have a physical study Bible. Sacrilege. It's pretty weird, actually. I, I'm... I. I know I used to have one, but yeah. I haven't had it the whole time I've been in New Zealand because I use like Bible software and stuff like Logos. Ah. So, yeah. yeah, I, I, yeah, it's really strange. So now I'm kind of like, oh, I should, I should get one. There is a study Bible here, but it's Danelle's. So, ah, okay. Mm. Well, no, that's all good. If it's Danelle's, you know, what's mine is yours and what's yours is <laughs> mine. I don't know. My <laughs> wife always just says, what's my, what's yours is mine and what's mine is mine. <laughs> 
<laughs> Classic married. Yeah, married life. <laughs> Love it. Anyway, uh, so today, yes, we are getting into scripture. We are jumping into it. We are diving into it. And we are going to spend some time in a very specific uh, part of the Bible. And what we're going to do today is basically we're going to take all the tools that we talked about last week. Well, not all of them, but most of them. The, the stuff that is free, the stuff that you can use today. And we are going to uh, exegete. Um, so draw out of a passage of scripture, the original meaning, the context, the author, the audience, the, the, the cultural setting, all that sort of good stuff. Um, we're not going to derive, we're going to try as hard as we can, not to derive some sort of hermeneutic or moral that is applicable for us. We are going to spend today as much as possible just exegeting um, this particular passage of scripture. Anything to add to that, Josh? I highly doubt we will not do a hermeneutic <laughs> at the end. <laughs> uh, I have a, I have a big prediction, big prediction, big if true, that we will do some sort of hermeneutic at the end. But basically what we're doing today is, again, just showing you all of these tools today we're using are totally free and available to everybody. Um, probably the, well, no, actually, the only thing you would have to probably pay for is a study Bible. Correct. Um, but we're kind of assuming most people probably have one or have access to one yes if you um, but do not, if not own it is one, a, you, your parents probably have one or yeah, whatever or you can borrow someone so anyway the yeah. point is what we're trying to say i mean you could I, I didn't use a study bible i just used a regular bible that has footnotes um and yeah that's all i used for this really so you don't even have to use a study bible but they're a good investment yeah, and I think the reason why I would recommend a study Bible, even if you don't have one, like actually recommending going out to buy one, is we talked about this last week, but they're kind of an introduction to a commentary in a way. They're kind of like a nice little first step into um, doing really good exegesis in a, a passage of scripture. Because if you have a good study Bible, like mine, um, you will have a table of contents, you'll have a little um you know, like preamble on the setting and the author and the, the 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 quick and dirty details that you need to know before you get into the passage. Um, and so it's a really good introduction to helping you actually place yourself in the setting. So, mm. yeah. Uh, with that all being said, our passage that we are tackling today is a nice, easy one. Uh, <laughs> one without any controversy, uh, one without any uh, tension or angst. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. Um, so, I'll read it from my version, then Josh, if you could read it from your version. Sure. Cool. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. Church, read along with us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Amen, pastor. <laughs> right. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is oh. not... <laughs> no, no, okay, sorry. Are you going, about to going. say amen? <laughs> no, 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 no. I was saying like, oh, no. <laughs> anyway, it is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive just as the law says. What does yours say? Oh, are we doing... Oh, okay, I thought we were doing 34 and 35. Oh, uh, we can do 35. That's well, they're, not, they're like the same. I feel like they're pretty much the same thought. They're the same so thought. That's, that's true. Okay. Yeah, if yeah. they okay. have, if they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Okay. So that was from the 
NLT, the New Living Translation. That's right. Um, interesting origin to that. Have you ever heard the origin story of the NLT translation? I have not. So it was actually this guy. This is totally random tangent, but oh well, maybe this is helpful. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. But it was a guy who. Well, this is from what I understand of the story. This may be incorrect, but from what I understand of it, um, is that it was a guy who used to read the Bible to his kids, and he didn't. They didn't understand what he was reading. So then he would rewrite it out so that his kids could understand it. And then he kind of kept going and eventually did the whole Bible. Wow. That's pretty crazy. Someone might need to fact check that, but uh, okay. that's the story I have heard. So anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. All right. So mine is from the NIV, the New International Version. Do I know the origin story here? Not really. <laughs> I'm <laughs> assuming it's possibly was- a little bit more boring. Yeah, I, all I know about the NIV is that there was the KJV and then there was the NIV later on. Mm. There's a funky alternative. All right. Yeah. Uh, from verse 34, so First Corinthians 14, verse 34, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Okay, cool. Um, Now, we've read two translations that are uh, sort of middle to the road. I think NIV probably steers a little bit more to what we were talking about last week with being a little bit more literal. With a little bit, wor- little bit more word for word. A little bit more word for word. Whereas the NLT, I think, is a little bit more to the other side where it's kind of more thought for thought. Um, That's it. But Josh, I was thinking um, something that we could do is maybe we could also read some more extreme examples of that. So I have Bible Gateway open. Bible Gateway is good because you can just quickly switch the translation. But I'm wondering, Josh, if you could bring up the message version or the passion version. Surprise me. Whichever one. Um, you have access to? Uh, I got the message. Cool. And I I'll, like it. I like I'll, it a lot. I'll read the ESV version, um, which is a, a moot point I just realized. Um, but uh, ESV version, because it's the English Standard Version. It's like, <laughs> oh. it's like ATM machine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So, so I'll read from the ESV. And then if, Josh, you want to read from the uh, MSG um not mon- monosodium yep. glutamate, but the message yep. <laughs> version. Um, so the ESV is more word for word. So in this version, it's more, let's actually translate it exactly as much as possible as the words actually meant um, in the original language. So uh, ESV says this, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Mm. Okay. And from the message version, which also rolls in um, verse 36. Yep. And um, it's sometimes with a message translation, it's hard to tell where one verse ends and another starts because they're so different. So I'm just going to read through to the end of this whole chunk. So it'll be a little bit longer than the rest. Um, Wives must not disrupt worship. That's so different already. Sorry. (laughs) Wives (laughs) must not disrupt worship. Talking when they should be listening, asking questions that could be more appropriately, uh, that that could be more appropriately be asked 
I'm reading this wrong. Sorry. Wait. Jesse might want to edit this to make me sound smarter later on. Okay. (laughs) Wives must not disrupt worship. Talking when they should be listening. Asking questions that that could more appropriately be asked of their husbands at home. God's book of the law guides our manners and customs here. Wives have no license to use the time of worship for unwarranted speaking. Do you, both women and men, imagine that you're a sacred oracle oracle determining what's right and wrong? Do you think everything revolves around you? Cool. Classic <laughs> Eugene Peterson. I always Took me love, for a spin there. <laughs> I, yeah, I love the way he puts it. Yeah. He's amazing. So yeah. good. Rest in peace. Absolutely. Um, okay. So I think our, our inclination would be for just to jump into what's going on here because yes obviously this is quite a controversial passage has been for many people in many churches for many many centuries uh, but i think it's it is important for us to set the stage for what in the world is going on here because you read something like this and you you kind of takes a you aback a little bit at least it does for me like i have no idea what's going on here this is all kind of wild um So I think it would be important for us to quickly just figure out a few basic things. And the first thing is where the heck is, was Corinth and what was it like to live there? And why is Paul writing this letter to these people uh, in the beginning? Um, And this is where a study Bible really comes into it. Um, This is a a, a really, really cool... um, uh, it gives you the ability to be able to really situate yourself. So my study Bible tells me that um, the city was actually located on a, a really strategic point um, separating mainland Greece from the uh, Peloponnesus. Um, it was a port city and it was a, multi, a really multicultural city. Uh, you can go and visit the ruins there today, actually. Um, in fact, According to my study Bible, uh, because it was a port city, uh, there was a reputation that it began to garner. In fact, there was a saying, um, there was a, a verb in, in Greek, the Corinthia uh, zomai, Corinthia zomai, which means to act like a Corinthian, which apparently in the ancient world was sort of a slang for somebody who was sexually loose. Wow. Yeah. What a reputation. Yeah. So it was an ancient city. It existed long before the time of Jesus. Actually, it was destroyed by the Romans in 146 BC. So 146 be- uh, years before the birth of Jesus. Later, it was subsequently rebuilt and repopulated um, by apparently a large part of its the population of the new city were Romans, ex-Roman slaves. Um, mm. from all different parts. And because it was a port city, uh, it was a really cosmopolitan, multi-ethnic, multi-religious uh, uh, sort of city. And because, again, it was a port city, it had people from different parts of the world um, going through it. And so it was a really sort of almost like... It feels like it was kind of like one of those cities that is just really multicultural and... 
you know, like a, a New York City or a, or a Los Angeles, you know, just really um, like the center of the world, very close to Rome, um, very close to the major areas in Asia Minor and Greece and sort of this really vibrant, you know, sort of multicultural, multi-ethnic city. Um, so that's from my study Bible. Um, was there anything else on like the Wikipedia page or anything else that you could add to what I've just shared, Josh? Yeah. Um, so the first place I went to sort of, uh, well, I went to a couple of places first because I'm not using a study Bible. Um, first, I sort of read the entirety of the chapter um, and then um, I kind of was interested in some context. So I did go to the, there's a Wikipedia page for the first epistle to the Corinthians. Um, and it, I mean, it, it sort of confirms what you already sort of know, like it's written by Paul. Um kind of gives a date for when they reckon it would have been written, which is AD 53 to 54. Um, but funnily enough, I came across very similar information when I went to, there's a Wikipedia page for ancient Corinth. You have to scroll mm. through it a little bit because it's quite an ancient city. So you sort of got to, there's different periods of time and it looked quite differently, quite different in each period. Um, I didn't do extensive research on it. I just sort of jumped down to it in the Roman era. Um, so it's interesting. There's one little sentence that caught my um, caught my eye. Under the Romans, Corinth was rebuilt, like we were mentioning, as a major city in the southern Greece. Um, yeah, in southern Greece, or how do you say it? A- A- Achaia, Achaia. Uh, yeah, I think Achaia. Yeah, it had a large mixed population of Romans, Greeks, and Jews. The city was an important locus for activities of the imperial cult, and both temples and the Julian Basilica. Um, have suge- have been suggested as locations of imperial cult activity. So there was a lot of stuff with the imperial cult there, which is like worshipping the Roman emperor and all that kind of thing. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, so pretty, yeah, pretty yeah. interesting place. Yeah. All right. So um, let's place ourselves within the Pauline context. Um, my, my study Bible is cool because I have a little timeline. Um, cool. So in AD 50... Somewhere between AD 50 and AD 52, Paul uh, embarked on his second missionary journey. And uh, around AD 50, Paul meets uh, Priscilla and Aquila, two of his buddies, in Corinth. And they become Christians. Uh, Either they become Christians or they're already Christians. I'm not too sure about that. Um, He is actually in Corinth around AD 50 when um, he writes 1 Thessalonians. Um, so he writes his letter to the the, the church hmm. of Thessalonica, his first one. Then he, uh, around AD 51, he writes uh, Second Thessalonians from Corinth as well. And then we skip forward a few years and we see Paul's third missionary journey. And he is in Ephesus at the time that he writes First Corinthians. Um, a couple of years later, in AD 56, he writes Second Corinthians from Macedonia, and then uh, a year later, when he is in Corinth, he writes the book of Romans. Um, So, there's all these missionary journeys that Paul takes, and some of them take him, basically his pattern is he will arrive in a place, he will make contacts with people that are already Christians or people who are sympathetic, or he will just set up in the village square and preach the gospel. He'll establish this church and then he'll have correspondence over and over with them. 
um, uh, over the years. The interesting thing about um, 1 Corinthians is, uh, and, and I think you've heard this as well, is that 1 and 2 Corinthians is actually more like 2nd and 4th Corinthians. Mm. Um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually references a letter that he previously wrote to them, which we don't have. And then they have a bunch of questions that they ask him, which he responds to in 1 Corinthians. And then apparently there's a third letter that they write back to him um, and it's things do not go well. And Paul writes to them and he's uh, in, in, in 2 Corinthians and he's really upset and he's trying to make good and 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 actually make up with these with these people so we don't have first and third corinthians um we only have first we only have second and fourth uh so it's kind of like we're only getting part of the story and we can kind of piece it together based on the stuff that we have um but we don't have the full picture yeah um this sort of leads into a practice known as mirror reading so this is where you read what because that's the thing we often don't have the other half of the correspondence between paul or or whatever letters are written so you have to read it like you're looking into a mirror and so you can sort of imagine what the other side is saying it's like um it's like listening to a phone call on one side or listening to a podcast but with two people except say this, you're listening to his whole podcast, but it's only me and not Jesse. Yeah. So then you'd have to be guessing what I'm responding to and listening to. Um, so it's kind of like that. So, so yeah. And often if you know the people, you can probably imagine what they're saying. I don't know. Mm. So I guess interesting uh, little little thing there. So don't feel too discouraged that we don't have half of it. Just It's just what we have and we have to work with what we have basically. Yeah. And it's amazing how much you can understand just from reading it. Yeah, I don't know, reading it well, I guess. Mm. Yeah. And and keeping in mind that Paul is responding to a bunch of things and you can kind of piece together what's going on in the Corinthian church based on what Paul is is talking about. Again, we don't have the full picture, but we can piece together that okay, there is there are issues to do with uh, marriage and sexuality here. Um, there's stuff going on with food, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, unity, and there's also all these questions about the resurrection. And so there are all these things going on. There are all these questions that these people have, and Paul is responding directly to what's going on in the church at the time. It's not some sort of theological um, essay that Paul is kind of conjuring out of thin air. It's actually real, um, direct uh, response to what's going on uh, sort of ministry, which is quite cool. Yeah. Um, should I talk about structure of the minute the, of the letter for a minute? Yeah, let's do that. Um, yeah. So um, I watched as well, watched a Bible project video on it. They do a really good um, overall structure which is a great place to also learn more about the context of a letter and how everything fits in. Because sometimes reading something, like reading what we read, it's like that seems so out of the blue, but once you sort of begin to see where it's placed in the whole letter, it does help you, uh, I guess, well, it helps with that mirror reading, yeah. um, but it also it also helps like figure out why Paul might be saying that. Um, so interestingly enough, in... Um, 
in the Bible project video, they, they lay it out really well with this beautiful like graph. Um, so basically Paul, the structure of the letter, and you can see this as well on the Wikipedia page if you don't feel like watching a video, um, starts off with a salutation, thanksgiving, pretty standard. And then he kind of has like four big areas that he touches on with, um, with the letter to the Corinthians. So from chapter 1, verse 10 through to four, chapter 4, verse 21, he talks about like divisions in the church. Um, yeah, which is always an interesting issue to talk about. <laughs> um, so like laying out the facts, the causes and the cure for the division um, as well. And then in um, chapters 5, verse 1 through to 6, verse 20, um, talks about like immorality, specifically uh, kind of sexual immorality um, is a big one, but also like the food issues too. Um, yeah, which is, yeah, mm. a little bit different for us because we're kind of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, yeah, it's not a, as big of a deal for us, I suppose. Yeah, like we didn't have this whole thing about food being sacrificed to idols and that. It's yeah. not really... Yeah, so anyway. Um, so yeah, that's kind of interesting. Um, and he kind of lays out some really interesting uh, cures for that as well. Uh, and then goes into... Um, what's it? What's the last? Oh, uh, like the worship gatherings. Mm. Um, yeah. So this is kind of interesting. Well, he kind of he talks about a, a, quite a few things with this because if you go from if on the Wikipedia page, it talks about difficulties in the church. Um, and so from verse uh, ver, chapter seven, verse one through to fourteen, verse forty, talks about marriage, Christian liberty, and worship, is what they say. Um, on the on the Wikipedia page, but obviously I think the Bible Project probably makes a bit of a different division there mm. um, because I think they would lay all of that into just, uh, what do you call it, like the gathering of right. believers. Right, yeah. Um, or they might have laid the marriage part into uh, purity. Mm. Um, so anyway, it, do, it doesn't really matter how you divide it. I guess it's, it's just looking at there are these big key areas that um, Paul's looking at. Um, but and and so this part that we're looking at today clearly falls into this worship gathering part about how yep. the gathering is meant to take place because obviously there were some troubles going on there so Paul had to lay down some rules and then lastly finishes up from fifteen to uh, chapter fifteen verse one to fifty eight and it's all about the doctrine of the resurrection because obviously mm. there was some confusion going on there and then he closes yep. out after that um, cool. so that's like a l- overview of the whole structure of the letter. And it's funny because the particular passage that we're dealing with today is only a small chunk of a much larger discussion, which has been going on for a long time. And he has so much to say on this. And then he kind of finishes off with this little this little piece about women and, you know, them not being able to speak. And then he kind of just finishes up and moves on to the next thing. And yeah. yet <laughs> we, all when, when I've heard this preached or, or taught on, most of the time, we only focus on this one little bit and we ignore everything else that, that comes along with it, um, which I think is a mistake. Um, so I think we're supposed to see this in the context of the wider discussion that Paul is having here on worship, specifically in the gathering of the people of Jesus. Um, so... When we when we looked at this, so Josh and I haven't shared notes. Uh, we've used most of the same resources. 
um, apart from my study Bible, which is obviously unique. Um, so we mostly have just all the same um, stuff. We have biblehub.com. We have enduringword.com. Um, uh, was there anything else that you had? There was Wikipedia. Uh, yeah, Wikipedia. Um, uh, I started... No, no, I didn't really. I was going to say, I started using Blue Letter Bible and then I just sort of gave up. So I didn't, <laughs> okay. I didn't really use Blue Letter Bible at all. I pretty much just used Enduring, Enduring Word, Wikipedia. And I looked over the... There are some various um, commentaries on Bible Hub. Cool. Okay. Uh, read through a bunch of them. So, um, if you want to follow along at home, feel free. Those are our sources. We're not using any fancy, expensive commentaries. Yeah, I, I just want to add as well. I, and some people will probably think this is a little bit unprofessional. I probably put in less than an hour of study time in this. And yeah. I'm deli- I know it's hard because I know other things about the passage and about the context but I'm deliberately not talking about those and yep. I'm deliberately focusing on only the things I've read. Um, so, you know, like this is less than an hour's work for me anyway. And Jesse, I don't yep. know, do you know how yep. long roughly you put in? Uh, yeah, less than an hour. I, I did maybe, maybe half an hour of going through the sources and just reading them. Most of the time was spent in my, in my study Bible because it has all the cross references and, you know, different areas that I can run to. And so I, yeah. Not yeah. that long. And that's the point. This doesn't have to be... Look, spending more time in God's Word is always a good idea. But at least to start off with, you don't have to spend um, hours and hours and hours of of research to be able to understand a passage. We're deliberately choosing to spend um, an average amount of time that most people would probably be willing to sink into a first um, swipe at this, as well as... Um, the, the the resources which are free, so yeah, um, and so yeah, like we just want to make this kind of manageable so you you could easily do it. Um, again, I feel like you can get some better, easier results if you pay for stuff. Like yeah. I'm sitting here thinking, like, man, some of these commentaries are just so like old school, and some of them are really old. That's the reason they're free. Yeah. <laughs> and we have kind of moved on a little bit. Yeah, but still, there's some good stuff you can grab from them. Um, you know, you know the motto: save the best, burn the rest, all that kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, and yeah, I would say the same as well. Um, the first half of my time was honestly just spent just in the Bible. Like I just read around the passage a lot. Mm. And just did some comparisons, looked for patterns and that kind of thing. Um, yep. So that's probably where I spent the good first half of my time, and probably where I got the most understanding of it. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, that's cool. All right. So shall we shall we tackle this um, head on? I yes. Think so. Just uh, this is the stuff I might share. Some of the stuff that you don't have, Josh. And then we can bounce off on the stuff that uh, that we both have in common. So, in my sure. study, when my study Bible, uh, when it goes into women should be silent during the church meetings. I have a a little um, little note here. Uh, it says this aside, and I think that's a good word. And it's like an aside. It's kind of like Paul's talking about a whole bunch of stuff, and then he goes, "Okay, by the way, here's a little here's a little something." This aside in the discussion on using spiritual gifts reflects a perspective on women's role similar to that of the pastoral letters, um, and it references 1 Timothy 2, verse 11 to 15, which we can flip to in a minute. 
Some manuscripts place 1434 after 1440. Um, so basically, so 1440 is the final little um, chunk in this in this whole discussion. So it's almost like some manuscripts would put this just as a PS at the very end, mm. um, not as an integral part of the overall flow of discussion. So it seems that Bible scholars have had some um, trouble as to where they would place this, whether to include it in the main body of the discussion or to include it as an as a sort of a PS at the end. Um, so that's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, so Paul advises women to be silent and submissive in church meetings. This instruction is to be understood in light of eleven five. Okay, so that's First Corinthians eleven five, which you might wonder. Okay, what does verse eleven five say? Um, it says, but a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head, for this is the same as shaving her head. Now, as strange and confusing as that might sound, um, we're not going to get into the details what that is. Basically, we're supposed to read that in context of actually women have a role in church of actually doing things. So this is not women should be silent during the church meetings, full stop. Actually, there's something that Paul has to say here that acknowledges that women do actually have a speaking role in church. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Cool. Um, so, the instruction is to be understood in the light of 11.5, which clearly imp implies that women are permitted to pray and prophesy in public, just as the law says. Um, and my note says it is possible that this is in reference to Genesis three sixteen, which I'll go to Genesis three sixteen and see what Genesis three sixteen. I actually didn't even look up what Genesis three sixteen says, so I'll be reading it for the first time as well. Uh, you'll know it. I probably will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, oop, that's Genesis two. All right. Uh, then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So possibly part of the whole curse of the flesh sort of theology, which is something that some faith traditions have emphasized more than others. Um, okay. Mm, what a delicate way to put it. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, and and <laughs> look, we recognise that this is definitely one of those passages of scripture that's a little bit more contentious than "for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son" sort of thing. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the reason we chose this is because it's different to our culture, so it's more likely to be one that you're more interested in. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, totally. All right. Uh, any other? precursory notes there from you josh about this passage before we go to like bible hub or enduring word um what just from the um from the bible as it yeah do you have any notes or thoughts on that you would think i have thoughts but uh no <laughs> <laughs> no I, like yeah I, I just noticed i guess again um, something important when you're reading the Bible um, is that you, you need to look for patterns and repetitions um, mm -hmm. and think like similar themes. And so once I realized that 11 to 14 is all about 
gatherings and worship, I, mm. I made time to specifically read First Corinthians eleven to fourteen, um, oh. and you could see eleven mirrored, like parts of eleven echoed so much in fourteen. So it's mm. important to link those. So that's just something. Again, this is a good part of get it, about getting context. Uh, context because if you reread, if you reread and read over, and you notice things that are repeated. Yeah, it's good. It's definitely a sign that you need to pay attention and try and maybe see if there's a link between them. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it was clear that from 11, you can see there is an order that Mm. Paul is trying to create. But also interestingly, how he notes that he talks about women prophesying and publicly praying. So it's not like they couldn't speak in a gathering because he'd already talked about that. Yeah. But you notice that straight away just from reading 11 and 14. Yes. So anyway. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Um, So uh, Enduring Word has an interesting note on this. Um, Under section four of 1 Corinthians 14, um, 34 to 35, says here that uh, Paul has already assumed the right of women to pray or prophesy publicly, as I mentioned before. And here he probably means that women do not have the right to judge prophecy, something restricted to the male leadership of the church. Interestingly, doesn't give much uh, explanation on that, perhaps assuming uh, that we know what he's talking about there. But there is another interesting note underneath that, under if they want to learn something, let they let them ask their husbands at home. Uh, the note says, in the ancient world, just as in some modern cultures, women and men sat in different groups at church. Among the Christians in Corinth, there seems to have been the problem of women shattering or disrupting the meetings with questions. Paul is saying, don't disrupt the meeting, ask your questions at home. The reason that he has this confidence to make this assumption is because it sort of was modeled in the synagogue. And uh, if you were a follower of the way, follower of Jesus, you probably would have adopted a lot of the same practices um, of, of Jews in the synagogue, seeing as many of these new Christians would have been Jews. And of course, Christianity was heavily influenced by Judaism. So it makes sense that um with many women from Gentile and Jewish backgrounds, um, there was possibly some tension in there as to how they would actually conduct themselves in this meeting. Um, Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, bro? Yeah, no. uh, Yeah, what? So, yeah, you're looking at Enduring Word. Yeah. um, Yes. Yeah, no, you pretty much nailed it. Um, Cool. Yeah. I I found it pretty interesting, like the tension. That's something I hadn't really thought about, the tension between a Gentile woman trying to understand how to gather as the church body mm. compared to a Jewish um, woman ca- coming in. Um, yeah, obviously there would be some difference there. So because obviously the Jews would just pretty much do what they were used to in synagogue, whereas yep. Gentiles would, yeah, have, I guess, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe like again, we saw in the Wikipedia page that the imperial cult was huge. So maybe they were just copying what they thought they should do at the imperial cult Mm. or maybe they were trying to do the opposite of what they did in the imperial cult i don't know hard to Mm. tell but i'm sure that would have influenced this in a way yeah 
Yeah. It, yes. it is quite interesting when you look at the entirety of even Paul's letters because I, I don't know, like I've heard a lot of people say, look, I have issues with Paul. You know, he seems to be a little bit, bit of a misogynist, blah, blah, blah. But actually, there are a, a whole bunch of different passages and things where he, he specifically praises women who are leaders and who are exercising leadership and authority in the church. Mm. Uh, you, you don't have to look very far uh, to, to be able to see that. Um, and I, I don't think it's that Paul has issues with women exercising leadership. I think it's very much a cultural problem. Um, you know, in, yeah. in, we live in a very fortunate time where most most of the world, women and men have equal opportunity to education. Um, but the ancient world just wasn't like that. You know, education was for <laughs> was for the rich and was for the rich males, right? Oh, so. totally. The fact that you and I live in a country where the leader is a female is yeah. radically different to this. And yeah. you have to acknowledge that when you're reading, like, this is... This is a letter written to a specific group of people in a specific cultural context. Yeah. Um, and so then you have to bring your cultural context to it to understand that there are... No, wait, what am I saying? You have to kind of put away your cultural context to understand it and then bring it back to your cultural context would be a better way to word it. Yeah. Like what we talked about in the last episode. And we have to also remember that this person who says, I do not permit women to speak in public or women should not speak in public in churches is also the same man who said in Galatians 3.28, there is no longer male or female, Jew or Greek, um, you know, slave or free for we are all one in Christ. Like this is the same person. So is he contradicting himself? Uh, <laughs> you mm. know, interesting, interesting thoughts there. Well, my point is that I think what Paul is trying to do in Galatians is he is trying to lay out a kingdom principle for how people in the kingdom of Jesus should act in light of the fact that we are now living in new creation and that we are looking towards a day when said creation will be ultimately restored by God um, ultimately and finally. And I think what Paul is doing here is he is not altering that new creation ideal, but rather saying you live in a reality that is far from ideal. We have to do the best that we can in that ideal. Um, but in case you're wondering about specifics, here is some specifics to help you in your specific cultural context. Um, so I don't think Paul is actually contradicting himself here. I think he is still, his overall goal is to help the church at Corinth live that kingdom principle live that kingdom ideal, um, all the while helping them to grapple with the specifics of their cultural occasion, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that does make sense. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's Enduring Word. Uh, I think there's a good illustration for us over at BibleHub.com. Um as you said, there are, there is a reason why certain commentaries are free and why some of them have to be paid for. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and 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 again, this this does come down to what faith tradition you're from. If you're from a more Calvinist background, um, you've probably disagreed with almost everything we've said anyway, um, and and that's fine. The pulpit commentary is quite interesting. Um, mm. I don't know if you read that one, Josh. I did. 
I didn't agree with it, but this is a good example of there are some sources which can challenge you and there are some sources which you can grapple with and some sources which you can just go, you know what? I don't think I vibe with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so here's what it says. Uh, actually, do you want to read it? I, I feel like I've been talking a lot. Oh, I don't have it uh, oh, okay. in front of me, but... Uh, no problem. Yeah. Okay, so here's what it says. Um, under verse 34 and 35, let your women keep silence in the churches. St. Paul evidently meant this to be a general rule rule and one which ought to be normally observed, for he repeats it in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Um, right off the gate, contradicting what I just said. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, yep. so, so this commentator says that it's supposed to be a general rule that everybody should, or ought to follow. But at the same time, it is fair to interpret it as a rule made with special reference to time and circumstance and obviously admitting of exceptions in both dispensations, as is perhaps tacitly implied in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 5, which we've already referenced. So, on the one hand, the commentator is saying it's a general rule, which he is saying that everybody should observe all the time, but it's also uh, something that admits special circumstance and cultural occasion, which is a bit of a contradiction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Messy. It's a little bit messy. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, it's annoying. I'm trying to find, I read something in a commentary, one of the commentaries on here and I'm trying to find which one wrote it. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll, um, find it okay. or you'll, you'll know you'll sort. it was one of the ones on Bible hub, but I'm trying to look over anyway, but it was about how they found it interesting with this passage because it's implying that I think with that, that, this should be done in the context of family. Like women should be talking, like ah. husbands should take responsibility to treat, to teach and talk about this in the home and bring okay. the, their spiritual life to their home as well, which I found really cool and encouraging. It's like your spiritual mm. life is not just at the church, but it's actually supposed to be something discussed at home. Um, obviously, there seems to be whatever organizational issue was hitting them there um, that the women were disrupting the church service in that particular context. Um, but it's not like they were excluded. Instead, they were included mm. um, and that they should talk about it at home. I thought it was Matthew Henry's, it's at Matthew Henry commentary, but I can't find it again. So now I'm questioning myself, but I know it was one of them. Okay, um, here's, what Matthew, done at home. here's what Matthew Henry says. Um, when the apostle exhorts Christian women to seek information on religious subjects from their husbands at home, it shows that believing families ought to assemble for promoting spiritual knowledge. That's it. That's what I read. There you go. The spirit okay. of Christ can never contradict itself, and if their revelations are against those of an apostle, they do not come from the same spirit. The way to keep peace, truth, and order in the church is to seek that which is good for it, to bear with that which is not hurtful to its welfare, and to keep up good good behavior, order, and decency. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, can I share a little thing I found just on my own reading and looking at patterns? Cool, cool, cool. And yeah. other, so again, um, the big thing is you're reading this in the context of this whole, what seems to be a, a big th chunk of thought, 11 to 14. So I sort of was reading this and connecting it to the idea of when he was talking about speaking in tongues ah. um, and in the worship service, it talks about how there should be order not chaos and like everything spoken there should be um 
intelligent, like it should be intelligently spoken or in, in I don't know if that's the right word, intelligibly spoken. Um, yeah. 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 Um, and interestingly enough, he talks about how, I don't know, there's a whole discussion on tongues, but we won't get into that. Um, but I, I kind of linked it to how he's wanting everything to be building each other up in the church body and he's wanting everything to actually be constructive to one another. So what I'm seeing if, is if you follow that pattern, it works the entire way through all four of those chapters. Mm. Um, and so then you bring it to the women. So obviously whatever they were doing in that church body was not constructive and building up and not, yeah, not, mm. I don't know, not, not teaching well. So that's why I'm kind of like leaning to the idea just this is just based on um, I guess kind of mirror reading is the idea that clearly whatever the women were, were doing in that situation was not like it was causing the same problems that the speaking in tongues was and yeah. um, the disorder of service. So, um, yeah, I found that pretty interesting. And I'm hmm. I'm questioning if maybe there's like an education issue there too. Like I don't know if women had the same, well, I do know, but based on what we've read today, I don't know if women had the same <laughs> access to education and that kind of thing. Maybe there's issues there um, that you could look at um, yeah, I if do, you wanted to go deeper into all of this. I do know that, you know, you referenced right at the beginning that Corinth was a um, a hub for all sorts of religious activity. And there were many different cults and, um, and and religious groups present there. One thing that I read, and I wish I had a source on this, but um, talks about how women were often a central player in the uh, practice of these religious cults. So you would have priestesses, I think probably similar to maybe the Ephesian sort of situation. Um, the where cult you would of Diana. Yeah. You would have mm. women as central priestesses who were teachers uh, probably also mentors to young girls and maybe boys I don't know and and and, and definitely um, religious leaders within their context and so if if we were to take a few steps of uh, like you know to try and figure this out perhaps it was a situation where you had these women who were used to be part of these religious cults wanting to exert the same level of authority that they had in their previous religion in this new religion except they actually didn't have the spiritual knowledge or understanding to be able to exercise that authority appropriately within the church of jesus mm. again i'm making some assumptions and predictions based on some inference or implication but it doesn't seem that far-fetched that to construct what was happening yeah, yeah. This is this is when it's getting really hard to not now go into stuff I do already know and stuff that I've read about this before. Um, and I think I've already kind of done that a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, and so this is um, and this is the advantage, um, listeners, because as you as you read and grow more in the Bible, you will you're it's it's like exponential knowledge and, and growth. Yeah. With it. So like as you learn more things, you can then bring that knowledge in. Um Yeah, I don't, it's um actually I was gonna I was gonna mention there was one other source I used. Okay. Um I looked at Bible web app. Okay, I did not look, look at that one. Yeah, to look at um the words used there. Okay. 
Um, and didn't come up with much, to be honest. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, the, the word there for sp- they're not permitted to speak. It's, it's mm. like to, the, so the definition of the word there is to utter a voice or emit a sound, to speak, to use mm. a tongue um, of the faculty of speech. Yeah, I don't know. It's like to talk, to chat, maybe. It's yeah. So, uh, so Strong's not Strong's Englishman's Concordance. Um, it's it says here, Lalane, a prolonged form of an otherwise obsolete verb to talk, i.e., utter words. So, it's not like a. Um, it's, yeah, it's not teach. It's it's to talk. Chatter. It's just a chat. Have a yeah. bit of a having a yeah. bit of a chin wag. Yeah, the hard part is I don't I don't know what the word for teach is. Like I'd, I'd have to scroll through here and find it. Mm. But I would think that that's significant that the word there is like got to keep sight like don't chat in church is kind of what um in the church gathering because obviously it was disruptive. But then that's me knowing a little bit more about Greek. So I don't know I don't yeah. know if it's fair for me to bring up because I don't know if everybody would come to that same conclusion. But I did find it from a free tool. You know, that is Bible Web App. <laughs> and yeah, you can you can learn more about the Greek language by looking up these sort of things. So All right. So I don't know. A, yeah, I find it a deliberate use a deliberate use because uh, I'm sure there's a different word for teach than there is for yes, speak. There is. It is didaskane. Yes. There you go. So that is to teach, direct, or admonish, a prolonged form of a primary verb, deo, to teach. Yeah. I found that in 1 Timothy 2, verse 12, where Paul says, uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or use authority over a man, but to be in quietness. I'm just translating from the Greek. So it's interesting that there he uses, in Corinthians, he uses the word speak, lalane. But in First Timothy, he uses teach. It's almost like yeah, there's something different going on there that mm. you need to address within the cultural setting. Yes, something about Ephesus that we brought up before. Right. Because <laughs> Timothy Very, was written in Ephesus. That is with true. With the cult of Diana. Which it had all female priestesses, but I didn't find that from a free source, so I can't bring it up. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> anyway, and this is, this this is, is where hard. this is where a good commentary that doesn't have to be expensive... Uh, but a good commentary, go to bestcommentaries.com, um, can help. If you really want to dig into it, get a good commentary. The stuff that we're showing is is okay, it's good, but a great commentary, a good commentary is, is even better. So. Yeah. And I still stand by, like, you can learn most through just reading the Bible yeah. and reading these sort of passages in context maybe we should start a bible study co- podcast wouldn't that be fun that could be that could be really fun yeah hmm. yeah hmm. <laughs> but anyway uh but hey we'd love to know i think that's probably about it um yep did you want to did you want to do any hermeneutics at the end jesse do we want to well, be pastors and bring it home well look no i think next week is going to be more of the hermeneutic week because once you've done the hard work, and this is the hard work of, of, of the exegetical process, then you have, in my view, then only then you have a permission to, to come up with some sort of hermeneutic. And I think there are, look, we haven't decided yet exactly what we're going to do with the hermeneutic side of this, but 
maybe what we could do next week is actually look at this and see if we can find some sort of hermeneutic around it um, that we're comfortable with and that might be faithful to, to scripture. Does that sound like a plan? Could be good. I don't want to commit to it, but we could. All right. <laughs> yeah. We'll see how we... Do. A, yeah. I, I, I just don't... I just feel like we've gotten to the, a good place and I, I think that doing the exegesis is enough. I don't think we... Ne- it is in our nature to have to find a hermeneutic, but I think the exegesis can be enough. Okay. Well, then in that case, I think I've shared everything I learned kind of about this passage that's sort of shareable right now from free sources and everything. Yep. Um, Shall we? Again, that sh- like, so what I shared then, again, probably 45 minutes work from my side, probably yep. half an hour same. to an hour from yep. Jesse. Yep. So... That's two people looking at independent sources, bringing it together. So that's, again, we want to echo, that's a great way to exegete and learn about the Bible is to do it together because then you can divvy up the work a bit yep. and read for yourself and compare notes like what we've done. Hence why this podcast is a little bit messier than our standard format because we're kind of just winging it and sharing. But um, And as well, we only used the sources that we referenced last time. Yep. There is heaps online about this passage that you can look up. I accidentally found an entire essay on this passage from adventistarchives.org that's just a free essay written about understanding this passage um, from Dr. William Richardson from Andrews University. So, What a guy. What a great guy. What a guy. Yeah, totally, totally free online. So, I mean, yeah, you could go way deeper into this and we would encourage you to. You know, you might find better sources than the ones we shared. We just shared about general sources that can be used for anything. But people write blogs or YouTube videos on different um, passages, podcasts. So, Mm. yeah, hey, um, be empowered, friends. Let's let's be empowered. Um, So... uh, we are going to return next week with a little bit on uh, hermeneutic, and we will see where the we'll see where the stream takes us. And uh, we may do a hermeneutic based on this passage. We may not, um, but we are definitely going to be delving into some principles of forming a responsible and uh, faithful hermeneutic based on the original intent of the author and. Uh, what the Holy Spirit is going to do with it because that is the other element that uh, is is really important is what the Holy Spirit has to say. Tell you what, Jesse, that sounds like a great episode. And so we can't wait to see you all there. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you. Anything you thought about from, from this episode? Um, yeah, any thoughts that you have and any anything um, you'd like to share? Maybe maybe after this, you go and try and exegete something for yourself. Share what you learnt. We love that. That'll be so fun. Um, and then we can compare, see what great free resources you found. We'd love to share that as well if you want to share it um, on the Facebook group or something so everyone can see. That'll be awesome. Let's share some resources that are free online that people can use to read the Bible better together. Fantastic. And if you have a specific question around the series that we've been doing, um, send it to us, uh, burnthehaystack.org. There's an email form there that you can fill out. Uh, it's just burnthehaystackpodcast at gmail.com. If you just want to go straight to your email, send us a question and uh, we will respond to it. Uh, if you want to be extra awesome, record yourself on your phone or whatever recording device that you have handy. Um, keep it under 30 seconds and uh, your voice will appear on the on the show. So, uh, yeah, we'd love it. That'd be mad fun. Uh, again, for all things Burn the Haystack, the best place to go is, of course, Burn the Haystack.
Org. You know it. Sweet. Yep. Is there anything else someone should do, Jesse, <laughs> that uh, we talk there, about every week? There, There is. If you haven't already subscribed to Burn the Haystack, please do that. We love you. New subscribers are the best. And if you want to help the show out, you can buy the merch uh, or you can leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcatching app uh, that, you, that you use most frequently. Absolutely. So can't wait to see you guys next week. We love you. You're awesome. That is Josh and Jesse out.